Welcome to HealthCast. I'm your host, Adam Patterson. We are joined today by Dr. Patricia Hayes, Chief Officer of Women's Health, and Dr. Amanda Johnson, Director of Women's Reproductive Health at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Doctors Hayes and Johnson have been responsible for overseeing the advancement of the VA's maternity care program during a time when the agency is dedicating greater resources and expertise towards building healthcare equity. The proportion of women enlisted within the United States Armed Forces has risen dramatically over the past two decades, leading to a corresponding increase in women veterans. This has created an imperative for the VA to expand its available women's healthcare services and provide a new scope of maternity care, a process that has necessitated both a change in care networks as well as an overall cultural and organizational shift within a Veterans Health Administration that had long taken care of a near-exclusively male patient base. Many of these advancements tie closely within the VA's broader reforms to its healthcare networks and abide by the agency's mission to eliminate what are common healthcare disparities across the United States as a whole. Dr. Johnson, Dr. Hayes, thank you so much for coming onto the program. Thank you for having us. So I want to start out with a bit of a background question, and that is, can you tell us a bit about your careers and your research interests and what first brought you to your current roles at VA? So I'll start. I'm Patty Hayes. I'm the chief officer at VA, and I'm a psychologist by training. I uh, Early on in my career, I worked in sexual assault. I worked in a rape crisis center for a couple of years and learned a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder and people's cope, just resilience and ability to get through incredible crises. And I uh, then went and worked in the VA where there were mostly men. And I worked a long time with uh, Vietnam veterans and their um, post-deployment stories and, and was really touched by it. And I, I never thought my entire career was going to be in VA. I did leave for a while and come back, but um, I've worked in women's health in the VA since um, mid to late 80s. And then later uh, in the year 2000, I came up to VA central office to the, the national executive uh, level to be able to run women's health across the country. And I'd like to introduce Dr. Amanda Johnson, who is my director of women's reproductive health. Amanda. Thank you, Patty. Um, yes, so I'm Amanda Johnson. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist by background. I came to VA originally as a medical student, and at that time I had not chosen obstetrics and gynecology as my, as my field, my specialty field, but I remember very much enjoying my time um, in VA and really truly thinking, I wonder if I could ever come back here. I was thinking about gynecology, and I wonder if there's just, there's enough women um, here in VA to serve, and I went on um, to beyond my residency work both um, in private practice, in academics, and then um, it was able about 10 years ago to join VA as a gynecologist and women's health medical director, and was very impressed with the work of the Office of Women's Health. Um, I got involved both locally and nationally in some of the work of building reproductive health services for female veterans. I have a special interest in um, obstetrics, also in um, rural health. I live in Wyoming and work in Wyoming, and there are some special issues there and have found um, working with veterans profoundly uh, gratifying and um, extremely important and very much enjoy the work. Yeah, those are both fascinating and I can imagine incredibly informative backgrounds. And it sounds like you came to VA very much at the right time, especially in your current roles, because 
If my understanding, the proportion of women veterans has risen considerably over the past two decades in particular, which brings me to my next question, which is about what percentage of those who are using VA medical services at this point are women? And if you, you know off the top of your head, what proportion of, let's say, younger veterans, about maybe between 20 and 40 years old, who use VA services are now women? Sure, I'll be happy to take that. You're absolutely right that the, because of the number of women in the military, the number of women veterans has tripled in the last couple of decades. And a long time ago, only um, 2% of the military could be women. So when I was talking about my early career, we had very few women in the VA hospital. But in the last couple of years, in the last couple of decades, actually, Department of Defense has enrolled more and more women as active duty. And so right now, active duty military is around 20% female. There's a lag as they come into VA, so about 10% of our patients are female. And uh, if you look at, it's it's getting to be almost split, but about 45% of our women are in the 20 to 40 group, and the others are are mostly up then to age 45. Fewer and fewer women, therefore, in the World War II and Korean War era are still in the over age, age 65 group as they pass on. Definitely. And... In line with that, I'm wondering, you know, it looks like, again, as you'd mentioned, the number of women veterans has tripled, or rather the number of women enlisted has tripled over the past uh, 20 years. And over that time frame, especially over, say, the past decade, where I'm guessing the numbers have risen at an especially sharp rate, how has VA worked to improve healthcare access and outcome for women veterans as this number of women veterans has risen? We've instituted quite a detailed program to meet the gaps in care for women and, and to, I sometimes call ramp up or run as fast as we can to make sure that we are uh, meeting the needs of women and continuing to recognize the fact that more and more women are going to come, come into VA. Uh, one of the things we didn't say was that over the next 10 years, the increase will be, again, a similar kind of doubling of the women who come into VA. So we've need, needed to make sure that we have the right kind of health care for women. We we call it uh, women's health primary care providers. We train up women specifically to, to have expertise and skills in seeing women. And it's you, you think about it is, of course, we want to know that they can take care of their reproductive health, the, you know, everything from pap smears to contraception. But we also want to make sure that they understand how uh, women's reproductive health is part of life health. And so when you're talking to people about chronic conditions, hypertension, um, and also their mental health conditions, things like post-traumatic stress disorder can actually affect both cardiac health and maternity health. So we have to have this comprehensive approach to making sure that we understand not just women's care, but care for women who've served in the military and what are the effects of military service on women's lives. In order to do that, we've uh, been dedicated to make sure that as much as possible, every woman has the access to a women's health primary care provider wherever she decides to enroll or use care. And so right now, every single medical center has at least two of these providers, and many have, you know, some have as many as 20 of these providers. In our community-based outpatient clinics, about 91% uh, have one of these providers, and it is our our gap in care that we continue to really address uh, to train up providers to see women. Absolutely. It sounds like uh, instating both a personnel, but also a large scale cultural shift was really necessary because as you mentioned, there is a very you know, strong correlation between you know, patient care and mental health and, and physical health outcomes. And it sounds like 
BA has really gone the distance to, to work towards bringing those together, which brings me somewhat to my next question. And this is not just about VA, but across America as a whole. What are typically some of the greatest barriers to access that women face when trying to receive maternity care in particular? And what are usually some of the greatest sources of women's healthcare disparities overall? I'm going to let Amanda take that question. Sure. Well, I think first, when we think about sort of access or, or barriers to care, I think one of the first things that, that we have worked on and continue to work on is making sure that the veterans we serve and the veterans who are who are out there um, who are of childbearing potential are even aware that VA offers uh, maternity care services and fairly um, inclusive maternity care services. So, you know, what we offer includes both what people would think of routinely as part of prenatal and maternity care. So prenatal visits, you know, lab work, medications, ultrasounds, all of those things, as well as labor and delivery and postpartum care. But we've also expanded that to include things like um, childbirth education classes, parenting education classes, lactation support, including breast pumps and nursing supplies. I think sometimes folks who, who use our services aren't aware that that is available. So I think that's important to be aware of. The other piece uh, that VA has worked hard to create is something called a maternity care coordination program that really helps the veterans who use VA for maternity care to access their care. We don't provide, we don't have labor and delivery infrastructure. For example, we don't have neonatologists or pediatricians in our hospitals. So the veterans who we serve do get their care in hospitals in the community. Um, so we know that they're going to continue to use VA services throughout their you know, maternity journey, pregnancy and postpartum. And so we have specialized um, people in our facilities who cover every facility who do care coordination, particularly around pregnancy and postpartum. And so that includes care coordination between the pregnant person, uh, their care team at VA, who may include, for example, mental health providers. We have a fairly significant uh, mental health and trauma burden among the people we serve. And so we wanna ensure that the veterans who are receiving maternity care continue to have access to maternity care providers who can sort of have bi-directional communication both with the veteran, the community provider and the VA providers. Um, we also, the maternity care coordinators also have you know, expertise in what's available locally in the community. So for example, um, lactation support groups or mother support groups, or for example, women and infant children's or WIC supplemental food programs, all of those pieces that are so important to support pregnant people, their families, and, and postpartum people and their families. And we put that together to really create some wraparound support services for pregnant people. Definitely. It sounds like a lot of work has been done, especially in coordination with the community care program. And it sounds like if I'm if I'm picking this up, that a lot of your work in, in providing and advancing women's health care and maternity health care has really synced with a lot of VA's broader reforms and modernization and just general healthcare expansion initiatives. Which brings me to my next question, which is that VA has clearly invested considerable resources over the past decade, especially into modernizing its healthcare and its health IT systems more broadly. And I'm wondering, how are the more technical capacities like, let's say, electronic health records modernization and data sharing also helping improve the delivery of women's health care and, and really improving patient outcomes at VA? We understand that it's really important that we have the electronic health record. And one of the advantages that VA has is that we have a, 
we share an electronic health record across our enterprise. And that means that wherever a veteran goes, it, uh, that the person can access, the providers and everyone else can access their lab tests, their other results, and that we can share that also with our community providers. And that's a real benefit. You know, women get married, move around. Uh, other people just f find reasons to travel. And it's, it's really an important part of what VA offers is to have an integrated health record. Another target has been that we've tried to institute some electronic tools that other health systems don't have. So for example, some years ago, we recognized that there are drugs, we call them T-drugs, the long word is teratogenic drugs, but there are drugs that many people take for various conditions that can cause birth defects. And so we think it's important that when a provider is going to start prescribing this drug, that they talk to the veteran about whether they intend to build a family, whether they intend to have a pregnancy. And therefore, what we've instituted is an electronic tool that comes and clicks on when you try and order these drugs and allows the provider to discuss the risks with the patient and their pregnancy intention or whether they're lactating. That's one of the innovations. Um, we, we have a couple of these that we've put in, and they just simply don't exist in the private sector in the way that that they are automated in the VA. So we think these are some of the kinds of ways that we use our electronic system to really enhance our healthcare and try and make sure that every veteran um, is gonna have these kind of tools to help them in their care. That's really impressive and really innovative stuff too. Again, you'd mentioned that it's this is work that's not even being done in the private sector, a place in which VA is clearly a leader. And interestingly enough, VA is a leader in an area in which, you know, it sounds like VA had traditionally not been as you know, focus on considering again, this was a very, an overwhelmingly male um, patient base that you know VA was was uh, providing for up until again very recently, and that brings me to something about the congressional support that VA has been receiving in this area because it looks like the the Protecting Moms Who Serve Act was passed with bipartisan support last November. By the look of it, it seems like it was sponsored by Senators Duckworth and Senator Snow, and. I'm wondering if this is something that's been been fully laid out. How will VA, VA be using the new funding from the Protecting Moms Who Serve Act to bolster and really continue building on this program of maternity care? Well, we really appreciate the ongoing work that we've had with members of, of the House and the Senate, uh, the Momnibus group who've been um, working on legislation, including the Protecting Moms Who Serve Act, and talking with us about the concerns as to whether there is there are gaps in care for pregnant women, and particularly, I think, highlighting the national issues about race and ethnicity and the fact that women in America, there's a problem with maternal morbidity and mortality, and the problem is seems to be accentuated among members, women of color. And so we this was just another way in which um, our work in terms of our women veterans, um, our people who are pregnant can be uh, really tailored to the individual. We, we think it's really important, and, and I'm gonna just say that we think it's really important to design our healthcare for the woman who's being served by us. And I think, Amanda, you can talk a little bit about uh, some of the concerns about maternal morbidity and mortality and how we want to be able to approach that. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the key 
benefits of the Protecting Moms Who Served Act is it really puts an emphasis on veteran maternal health. And as Dr. Hayes said, there's been an increased focus on maternal morbidity and mortality events um, in the U.S. And, and as Dr. Hayes mentioned, I just want to echo that we are aware that you know, Black women are three times more likely to die either during pregnancy or in the postpartum period. And American Indian Alaska Native are two times more likely to die in the um, in the pregnancy or postpartum period. And that's, you know, that's thinking about women nationally. We know about the people we serve and the veterans who use VA for the maternity benefit are more likely to be Black compared to the general population. We also know that they have other risk factors um, that put them at risk for poor maternal outcomes. And um, that includes being an older age at the time of pregnancy compared to the general population, uh, more likely to have a mental health comorbidity, particularly PTSD, um, is known to have some just on its own uh, potential effects on maternal outcomes. And then, you know, higher risk of having comorbidities such as high blood pressure, chronic hypertension, who also puts people at risk. Um, so I think that that focus on veteran maternal health really allows us to, to elevate and create potential interventions for, for veterans of childbearing potential, which really allows us to work toward healthier pregnancy outcomes, as well as just improve the health um, and elevate the health of all of the veterans of childbearing potential we serve. It's really important. Absolutely. And it, it really does sound like it is a very comprehensive effort that you really do need to be attentive to, as you mentioned, obviously, you know, maternity health, but also various forms of mental health support and community health support that it is, it is, you know, these things do not exist in a silo, you're really caring for the entire person. Which brings me to my next question. And you'd mentioned a bit about the community care program. And I'm curious going forward, are there any potential plans to expand or build upon this delivery of women's community care uh, as part of the general expansion and reforms of VA's community care program? I think it's important that we make sure first that people understand, as Dr. Johnson said, we can't do this without community partners, that we have to give good maternity care by referring women to the community for their pregnancy care. And, you know, until they're completed with that care, which is uh, usually six to eight weeks after they've delivered. In, in order to do that well, we've enhanced the part that's inside VA. The, we, we already have a major contract called the Community Care Network, which VA utilizes to make sure that we are enrolling the best pro providers out there and vetting them and, and matching up our women with providers, which by the way, the one barrier there is there still are areas of the country, particularly highly rural areas where uh, it's a little bit difficult, whether you're a veteran or non-veteran to access care in the community because of the paucity of uh, providers out there. But once we already have someone hooked up with community care, we, we then see that our number one issue has to be that coordination that we described. And so we have a maternity care coordinator and uh, they stay in touch with the veteran throughout their care in the community, including making sure that the veteran comes back to the VA, has a, an appointment at the VA within 12 weeks uh, postpartum. And then the community care coordinator follows them out past that. So not only are they back in VA care, but they may be having other uh, care issues, other care navigation, or having you know the coping with a new a newborn and 
we want to make sure that the care coordination is there for them. So we see it as a partnership with the community and one which, you know, we have the advantage in a sense that we have this ongoing community care network of providers to uh, be able to work together with for our care. Absolutely. And it really sounds like women's and maternity care is being made a, a very important integral part of that. And uh, before we wrap up, Dr. Hayes and Dr. Johnson, I just want to ask, uh, broadly speaking, as kind of an end note, are there, are there any things you really want our audience to know about VA's maternity care program, you know, whether in, in the availability of services or, or where you plan to go from here? We have some initiatives we're launching and we see it as we wanting every pregnancy to be a planned pregnancy. We want every pregnancy to be a healthy planned pregnancy. And so we're actually looking at the entire continuum from what's called preconception planning. Does someone intend to build their family? And we actually think this is really an important conversation to have with men. We sort of focus sometimes too much in this world in healthcare that women are about pregnancy when it, it takes two to tango usually. And besides which, I think we sort of discount the you know emotional investment, the discussions, and and the interest that men also have in family building, and so we we need to be talking to our veterans, male and female, about what is their pregnancy intention. That's the beginning, and uh, I think that we want to then at that point in time help them start planning. So we talked about what's known as the social determinants of health. Are they having any problems with housing? hunger, food insecurity, you know, financial issues, uh, job issues, because the, one of the other advantages of VA is that we have these kind of connections within even primary care to help people with these kinds of life challenges. And you can't really have health unless you have these, place, these things in place, the whole person health. And we also have a whole, a whole health program, which you probably have been learning about so that we can offer things that that accentuate health, uh, yoga, acupuncture, various kinds of therapies and, and hobbies. We offer um, sports clinics. And I was watching a video yesterday about kayaking. You know, we you don't go to some of the other health insurance companies and be able to access the kinds of things that are going to accent look at you as a whole person and accentuate your health. I would just add, and I think you're exactly right, Patty, and you hit the nail on the head. We're really trying to think about the population of child, you know, veterans of childbearing potential, including, you know, men in the discussion, thinking about if pregnancy is on is on a person's list of things they want to accomplish in their life or family building that we're that we're recognizing the importance of the time period before pregnancy um you know, maybe between pregnancies and beyond pregnancy and really leveraging the ability that we have within our large integrated healthcare system to impact the health of the people we serve not just during pregnancy um, but before between pregnancies and then after pregnancy, you know, really recognizing that if someone has, for example, preeclampsia during pregnancy, that has a potential, you know, impact on their future cardiovascular risk. Same, same thing with gestational diabetes. Um, same thing with, you know, postpartum depression, for example, or postpartum anxiety. So really want to make sure that we're, we're thinking about the whole person and across the continuum, across the lifespan. And I think we're we're lucky to be able to do that in the healthcare system um, that we have. And and I guess the, the other thing I would want to say is, you know, we're here to serve you. Um, we want to serve you, and we and that's that's really uh, the bottom line of what our goal is. 
Absolutely. That is something I've always found really impressive about VA is this, this look towards caring for, you know, the person in their entirety, as well as, of course, as Dr. Hayes mentioned, the focus on really bolstering community support as something that really goes into improving outcomes and patient well-being. All really, really impressive work. Again, Dr. Johnson and Dr. Hayes, thank you so, so much for coming out of the programming. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having us. We are always very happy to get an opportunity to talk to veterans about how we can serve you as, as a veteran and in the best health that we can. Absolutely. HealthCast along with GovCast and CyberCast is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.